with you, Sports Huddle, final half hour on a Friday afternoon. Wrapping it up for the week, and when we get back together again next Monday, it will be game week for college football. Pretty much everybody will be game week from Randolph-Macon through Richmond, Virginia, Virginia Tech, James Madison, uh, everybody in action over over Labor Day weekend. So really looking forward to that. We'll do a lot of college football talk next week um, for all of the schools, not not just those, but but pretty much all. And then nationally, on the national landscape, there are some, some big-time games uh, right out of the gate. Uh, all right, uh, 532, looking to track down uh, Richmond head coach Chris Mooney. Uh, sometimes you get out of the uh, routine. <laughs> During the course of the summer, and got to got to kind of get back into it. So we'll 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 track coach down here and get a few minutes with him this afternoon. And as I said, not only to talk about Richmond's non-conference schedule, but also the roster that the Spiders have put together this year. And again, uh, it's certainly something that would have been foreign to Richmond basketball in Coach Mooney's era and even before that, because Richmond was always a four or five year school that developed players and made them really good by the time they were finished. And just not so sure that's the formula that will work anymore in college basketball. So a fascinating topic. We'll get into all of that. Uh, Let me bring him on. Uh, Coach Mooney has joined us this afternoon. Chris, um, it's usually a throwaway question, although with great meaning, and it is certainly more in this case when me and everybody else asks you when they first see you, how you doing, Coach Mooney? (laughs) I'm doing great, thanks. I feel great. I um you know, we've been back at it for a while. It took about a month after the surgery, and uh, since then I've been back at it and uh, doing great. Happy to be around the guys and uh, school, and um, yeah, really looking forward to, to getting things started. Absolutely, no doubt about it. So let's get it started a little bit. I guess one of the premises um, when I asked you on today was the non-conference schedule, which I think people had piecemealed together even before today, but officially the non-conference schedule uh, announced and and talked about, you know, the Boston College game and the tournament in Daytona Beach, getting a chance to play uh, Florida in that that non-conference schedule. Was there... Was there a philosophy that you tried to go into knowing the type of team you had with so many newcomers? I know that's hard uh, to schedule off of a philosophy. Sometimes you just got to take what's in front of you. How did you kind of uh, cobble this one together, Chris? Yeah, you know, it's it's getting uh, – it's. I feel like it's, it's even more difficult, Bob. Um, you know, um, we usually start with our, our games that we're going to try to, against, try to get against Power 5 teams. That's probably where we usually – start our scheduling philosophy and that usually begins at the MTE meaning the uh, the tournament the exempt tournament that we play this year in Daytona Beach with Colorado Florida State and UNLV and so uh, we want to try to get as many of those games as we can you know what I've really noticed recently is a lot of the high major teams are playing one another um, and so that wasn't always the case um, where they you know we used yeah, I think they used to criticize high major teams for playing, you know, almost all home games or, or mostly home games and a couple neutral. And uh, now they're playing each other more, which is, you know, that makes it more and more difficult for Atlantic 10 schools to be able to get those games. And so we try to start there. Um, and then we found another opportunity in the Orange Bowl Classic, which we participated in years ago, uh, where it's a one-game uh one game for us, I think it might be a double header or a triple header where we'll play Florida. So we, we like that. And then we had, we had had a, 
contract with Boston College for a while now, and the games were, for one reason or another, put off. And the last time we played them was 2019, I think, here in the Robin Center. And then, uh, so that's the last game of a three-game deal. And so that's where we, we where we always try to start is can we how many high major games can we get and where can we get them? Um, you know, it's again. I think my first year here, we played Seton Hall, Virginia, and Wake Forest all at home. Uh, and that just shows you how quickly things have changed. It's just very, very difficult to get those games, and we're happy to have three or four on the schedule with the exempt event, Florida and Boston College. Hey, speaking of home, I couldn't help but notice, and I think a fan would look at this and notice the same thing. You open with back-to-back home games, and you finish non-conference schedule with three straight home games. Now, obviously, we all know you can't just roll the ball out and you win because you're at home, but the Spiders, like many teams, very successful at home. Did anything kind of go into hoping to do that with a team that has you know so many newcomers, transfers and freshmen, to get them started at home and then to finish the non-conference schedule with three more on the Robin Center floor. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I think um, definitely trying to start with games at home is is something that we've tried to do. You know, it's <clears throat> it's it's hard. We're, we're, we try to get to seven home games if we can. Um, in the non-conference, and I think sometimes it's probably been six, but we try to get to seven if we can, uh, and we do like to to start the the season at home if we if we're able to do that. And then over Christmas, um, you know, we've, we when we when we again, it doesn't always work out because you have to consider the other teams and the, the academic schedules and those kinds of things. We do try to have it have you know our last game before Christmas be at home if possible. Um, and then this year we we're lucky enough to get one after Christmas. So, yeah, I think that's that's fairly intentional. Uh, it came it came uh, together nicely in, in in those terms this year. But we do try to do that in, uh, with opener with the last game before Christmas, and hopefully, if there's if there's room, if there's space before the conference season begins, that game after Christmas also. Uh, catching up with Chris Mooney, Spider Men's basketball coach, non-conference schedule uh, is out. So that was certainly one topic, Chris. But certainly want to talk about the guys on the roster this season and start to familiarize ourselves with them. We had conversations with uh, the transfers uh, back a couple of months ago, every Friday for a few weeks. And, and I'll say this: in prepping to talk to you today, I did kind of go to our website, pull up the roster. And I realize this is by chance because the roster is sorted by jersey number. But still, as I scrolled down, Chris, five of the first six guys as I scrolled are newcomers. I I mean, it it just kind (laughs) of hits you right away. I realize it's by uniform number, but still, I think you get my point. Three of them are transfers, two of them are freshmen. Five of the first six on your roster are new to this team. That never would have happened in the old form of college basketball. How have you kind of handled that uh, with this particular team and knowing you may have to do this more often than not like many college basketball coaches yeah and and yeah i know bob it's, it's it really is interesting i think um you know our goal would be to, to to not be in this position and to to try to take this new model or the new rules of this era and still try to have consistency and longevity with our players now that easier said than done and there are a lot of uh, there are just very many options and um, you know things are just very very different than they were even even five or ten years ago so um, you know if we can in terms you no know, one thing that could change 
uh, across college basketball is the COVID bonus year. So Jai Bailey for us is in his fourth year uh, and has a COVID bonus year. And that's the last class to have that. So that's the last time, you know, that has an impact too on guys transferring after three years because in the COVID bonus year, they still have two years left and can complete their undergraduate at the second school, whereas that'll likely go away. It'd be hard to finish your undergraduate in just one year in school because they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't count all the previous school's credits toward their graduation. So that that's one thing that could change a little bit. Um, but, yeah, it, it's it's very unique. You know, I do think that as – you know, as frustrating or as different as it is with the with the transfer portal, you can add good players, and we we do feel like we've been able to do that. You know, definitely the the two guards that we added in Jordan King and Delani Hunt, you know, both leading scorers on their respective teams, uh, both all conference recognition during the course of their careers. Um, so we we do feel like we've added very good players, and you know that's an upside to the to the portal and to the, some of the frustration that goes along with it. Um, and then all, all in all, we feel like we added two really good freshmen in the spring, Bob, who likely in, in most years wouldn't have been available. And so because the portal's so prominent in terms of everyone's recruiting, we feel that there are some high school guys out there that, uh, that would have been, you know, sought by more schools in, in previous years, but now, everybody's kind of reserving those spaces for transfer. So we, we feel very good about the talent level. So let me ask you a broad-based question here. It's a great sports talk show topic, not only today, but when we do Behind the Web, your, your coach's show as well. But I was detailing a story that I stumbled across today that involved uh, East Tennessee State and their athletic director, uh, Dick Sander, who I think was still at VCU when you started at Richmond. I might I, I feel, yeah, you know who he, I don't, you know of him. Yeah, I'm not sure if he was. I'm not sure if he was. I certainly know the name, but I'm not right. sure if he was here. Yeah, yeah. I think he had just finished up around 2005, maybe or okay. so. But it, in any event, he's East Tennessee State's a- athletic director now, and they had so many guys in the portal, Chris, that he came out and said, "We're going to have a new policy that if you put your name in the policy in the portal, you're gone. That's it. You're not coming back." We've had guys yeah. come back at East Tennessee State, but he was like, you know, if you're not all in with us, you make a decision, you go. Now, he didn't call it a hard and fast rule. He said it's a philosophy right. and a policy, and, you know, push comes to shove. Just wondering your thought on that and if you guys do have some sort of framework for how you handle guys that, you know, do go into the portal. It happened. It's inevitable that it's probably going to happen again. Yeah, you know, th- those things, these does this has evolved so quickly and so fast that, you know, I can remember it used to be the case when, when a player would be transferring us from a school, you'd hear, you know, you'd hear uh, the stories about that school would, you know, clean out his locker and put everything in a bag and he was no longer allowed to work out the rest of the year with the team. Um, you know, and I, I've, that, you know, most schools have really softened on that and they, you know, sometimes or often they work together. You know, with a, you know, I know for us we really played a big role in um, Malcolm Dredd and Marcus Randolph finding their new school. Now, it's not like that with every player, and it's like that at every school. But uh, you know, that one that one's tricky only because you know part of this is it's you know it's almost. 
I mean, almost as many players are entering the portal as staying, right? I mean, I guess mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. maybe a third or a little over a third. So it's close to 50-50. Yep. Um, and so that's, you know, if a, if a guy goes in there and then would say he was coming back, you know, naturally you would want to – that's why there – because there are no guardrails to this, that has made it really, really difficult. And that's had the feelings, everybody's feelings, you know – a little bit burned because it is hard to to make all these changes that have occurred in college athletics, which makes it so much better for the student athlete, just in terms of uh, what's invested in them and, and what their what the expectation is on the school to provide, you know, while they're there and beyond. And so then all of a sudden the kid says he doesn't want to be there. It's easy to say, well, you're out. And and I think that you have to probably you probably have to not have that as a policy, only because there's going to be a guy that you do want to stay or the circumstances change on either end. Um, but I wish there were some more guardrails around this. You know, we, we, we've had guys uh, in the summer who have, who have committed to one school from the portal and have decommitted and then committed to another school, uh, you know, even within that month or six weeks. And it's almost like what's in the air now or what's in the, culture just as much as someone's individual experience. And so I do think there need to be some guardrails around it, um, you know, uh, just to protect the schools. That, that's the one thing. You know, if you lost a guy in July 15th or even June 1st, that's really hard to replace that player, uh, really hard. And so I think that that, uh, you know, you also have to protect the school's programs um, because they're trying to, put a good team on the floor and they've, you know, they've paid your scholarship for the first year or two you've been there. They've honored everything. And I think that, I think that's important is to try to have some, a little bit more guardrails just so everybody goes into this with wide eyes wide open. They know what the details are they know what the rules are. And then we can proceed from there. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about it a lot, both on the air and off obviously. And I, I like where Dick Sander is coming from, but I don't think in reality it's practical that they're they're going to be able to do that. And to your point, uh, real quick, and then we'll wrap it up with you, Chris, in that article that I was reading about what East Tennessee was thinking, it says the NCAA reported that 20,911, 20,911 Division One athletes entered the portal in 2022, and a little more than half of them landed at new schools. So you nailed the percentage. Wow. To, wow. And yeah. you wonder where where did the other half wind up? Did they go back <laughs> to their previous school or are they, you know, on the outside looking in and don't have a scholarship anywhere? That that to me yeah. is a startling number. Yeah, I think like many things, you know, it, these rules benefit the better player you are, these <laughs> these rules benefit you and and the <laughs> opportunity you might have to either transfer to a higher level with more exposure or to make money on the NIL. And so, you know, I, I think that it's not necess- it doesn't necessarily work out for every guy, even though it, it may be it may be portrayed that way. And I think there are plenty of guys who go in the transfer portal looking for greener pastures and end up at a in a worse situation. Hey, let's finish up uh, on the fun stuff on the court. When the Spider fans come into the Robbins Center on November 6th, uh, give us just a small snapshot of, of, you know, what kind of team are are, are we going to see out there with these newcomers plus the guys that are back and probably bigger, stronger, faster, better. Uh, You know, what are we kind of looking forward to here, Chris? 
Yeah, well, uh, no, I'm excited because I would say the one thing that really stands out to me uh, uh, is speed. I think that there, there's a, a great deal of speed on the roster. Um, in the backcourt, in the front court. I feel like really, uh, you know, m- most of the guys, one of the first things I'd say about them is that they're fast. I think that's always a good one. And then shot making. I, I feel like, um, you know, we, we've – We've had a great chance to be together this summer and, you know, in, in our, not just the drills, but in playing and live and competing, I feel like there's been a lot of shots going in from, from all over the court. So I think those two things will hopefully show up and show up often uh, because they're two, they're two pretty good ones to have. Yeah. Absolutely. Excited for it. Uh, Chris, thanks. Appreciate your time this afternoon. Look forward to uh, crossing paths here before too long and getting college basketball going. Thanks. Thank you so much, Bob. Appreciate it. Chris Mooney, Spider head basketball coach. Uh, won't be long now before they'll be out there practicing for real, and then the games will start again Monday, November 6th, start of the college basketball season. All right, quick break here, and we'll finish it up on the other side. Sports Huddle, 1061 ESPN.